Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. And we started this series talking about this cultural phenomenon of pay it forward because we were identifying that while it is this kind of cultural phenomenon that has popped up all of a sudden, where people are buying coffee for the person behind them or a meal or uh, opening a door, and it's causing this sequence of events where the next person does it and the next person does it and the next person does it, and it's kind of creating this, this mentality of kindness. While it is a cultural phenomenon, it really has its basis in biblical principles. It really has its basis in Scripture. The, the idea that we are just randomly kind to other people is not really uh, an idea that makes sense in the general nature of humanity in the world. But it does make sense when the love of God is, is within us. And it does make sense from a perspective of seeing the image of God in people. That even, even when a world does not have a relationship with their creator God, they've been made enough in his image that there are markers where we're able to say, yeah, you know, they may not do this all the time, but that aspect of their life where they showed kindness here shows how God has made them in a way where they can even display kindness without that relationship with him. And so this pay it forward phenomenon is actually one of the, one of the greatest displays of the image of God still left in humanity. We want to take it to a different degree. As Christians, we want to say, okay, it's not just about some sort of little like I paid for your coffee or I opened the door for you or I, I smiled at you as I walked by, we want it to be a lifestyle of that. Right? That's a whole different mentality than just the cultural phenomenon of pay it forward. It's a much deeper coming out from an internal place of transformation. And so this morning, as we focus on this passage that hopefully you've been able to read this week from 2 Corinthians 9, talking about generosity, know that while so many times we go straight to the physical, uh, tangible expressions of things, the, the goal is that it starts at a much deeper level and that we're, we're going after a much deeper level in the lives of other people. That it's not actually about the tangible. The tangible is a part of it, but it's really about our souls and their souls in a relationship with God. And so as we read 2 Corinthians 9 verses 1 through 10 this morning, know that it is talking about a very tangible principle, but the tangible principle is a display of something so much deeper, and that's what we've been focusing on in this series. So I'm going to read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 through 10. 1 through 10. It'll be on your screens if you don't have it in front of you. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin with. But I am sending these brothers to you. I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, 
If some Macedonian believers came with me and found out that you weren't ready after all, I had told them. So I thought I would send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift. No one given grudgingly. Not one giving grudgingly. Y'all, I'm stumbling over this like no business this morning. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us apply this very tangible, practical teaching at an even deeper level to the core of who we are, that we might see your desire for us to become more like Jesus, that we would learn to live lives of, lives of generosity, not for the sake of some sort of attention for ourselves or some sort of feel-good moment, but lives of generosity because we are pouring our lives out as you've poured your life out for us. That it would be a calling, a sense of, a sense of deepening our relationship with you as we learn to become more like you, as we learn to pour ourselves out and give ourselves away. And so we thank you for your son Jesus, the example he set, what he accomplished, and how we are being made more and more into his likeness. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. So Paul here says a couple key things and uses one key analogy. He mainly says, give willingly. When you give, give cheerfully and give generously. Give willingly, give cheerfully, and give generously. And his principle, Paul's principle for this idea of God's provision in our lives is really about God's provision is for the purpose of our generosity. But if we're thinking about our lives, in, in big picture, our lives as a whole, as things that are for us, that my life is for me, then we handle it differently than when we think about it as being something that's not just for me, there are benefits for me, but it's for others. It's this harvest that's being produced for others. You think about a farmer, especially a farmer that produces large amounts of crop. They're not, yes, they can take from that crop for themselves, for their family, but the largest amount of that crop that they're producing is going to go to other people. Now, it might be that they sell and barter it, especially at this time, in order to provide more stuff for their family, right, to provide in other ways for their family. But the majority of the crop they're growing is not for them. If they're, if they're a large production farmer, especially, they're, they're not just providing for their family. It's not a gardening so that my family has something to eat. It's a farming for the sake of society, in a sense, for the sake of humanity, right? That all these other people would have what I'm farming, food to eat, you know, animals to kill and eat. Um, I mean, the, the, the farmer is playing a specific role 
in the nurturing of an entire society, not just the farmer himself and his or herself and their family. And so we, when we view, okay, God has given me even the resources that I have to provide for myself, what is God wanting me to do with those things? Then that changes how we handle living our lives. In fact, Paul says the, the, that the principle is God has given the farmer the seeds to plant, let alone will give the far, farmer the harvest to increase, right? The farmer, didn't e- the farmer didn't even produce the seeds that he's going to plant and then tend to so that the harvest can come. Right? God provided even that. Right? There's nothing that the farmer is actually producing. God's done all of it, from the seeds to the soil to the rain that will come. Right? There's this irony that, that a lot of the times we convince ourselves that we are the most crucial piece to the puzzle of what God is doing in our lives. And we just do. We get so wrapped up in our own circle of this, this is me, this is what's going on in my life, this is what's going on with me in my immediate family or circle of friends, that we begin to think in a way that we are the most crucial piece of the puzzle and forget that it's actually God who's the most crucial piece of the puzzle and we're joining God in what he's doing. Because ultimately, the farmer is not needed from the sense of that God, got, the seeds are going to be on the earth and they're going to go into the soil and they're going to produce things. Right? Trees happen with or without us, <laughs> if you haven't noticed. They happen with or without us. They produce flowers the, or some sort of fruit. That fruit falls to the ground and goes into the soil and another tree comes up. The purpose of the farmer is not that he's actually producing anything. He's joining God in God's production of stuff, and then he's providing it for the community. His family as well. It's not that he's not providing it for his family, but he's providing it for the community as well. And this is how God sets up his own very people in the Old Testament with the priests, funny enough. This is how the God, God organizes his people in the Old Testament around people around people who would then provide for the general people of God a connection with him. And he called them priests. And these priests, and it wasn't just like one or two people, like they had a whole host of people that were concerned with the relationship of God's people and him that would, that would give themselves to the people just like a farmer gives themselves to the land, and, and they would care for the people and then train others to care for the people. And it was this process of caring for God's people, just like land was being cared for. And God set it up, set it up in such a way that they would be taken care of, but that the majority of what the people were giving to his organization of his people were caring for those that were most in need. It was this incredible system of generosity that was meant to produce the fruit of God's kingdom spreading all over the world. 
And where we see God get most angry with his people in the Old Testament is when they're hoarding everything for themselves. When they're hoarding all of their own resources and when they're even hoarding God for themselves. They're creating barriers to other people coming to God because it's as if their relationship with God is more important than someone else's relationship with God. This is where God gets most angry and where Jesus gets most angry when he's on the earth talking to the Pharisees. That's what he's most angry about. Why do you lay all of these barriers before people so that they can't get to me? Why do you create all of these laws and rules that just make it harder for people to have a relationship with me? And we see Jesus get very angry about this, right? Very angry. And it's because they weren't caring for people. They weren't actually caring for people. They were just doing the system of the religious nature of their day, but they were not stewarding people well. They were not generous with their lifestyles, with their relationship with God. They were not being generous with a relationship with God. They were not being generous with their resources. And this is where you get Jesus in his time on earth highlighting people who would, who would display for the world these extreme examples of generosity, not because he was trying to say everyone has to always live at this sort of extreme level of generosity, but because he was trying to point out this is the overflow of a real relationship with God. That generosity is the overflow of a relationship with God. And it's not just about material giving. It's about giving of yourself, right? Because Jesus ultimately didn't change the financial circumstances of hardly anyone. If you read, if you read the, the Gospels, he does very little financial investment in his, the people of his day. He heals. He does physical investment. He does miracles like casting out demons. And he ultimately repairs all of humanity's relationship with God, right? I mean, his investment was about the whole person. He wasn't just concerned about their circumstances. Their circumstances mattered to Jesus, but they weren't the reason why he was giving his entire life away for them. And that's important because we must build on that foundation to see the results of generosity in our lives that, that we, I think, want to see in our lives. I think most believers want to be generous people, but it's a heart issue. It's a heart transformation issue for us to then be able to display it outwardly. Right? One of the examples Jesus uses in his gospel of the, di the difference between someone who's merely doing something out of religious obligation, some sort of feeling of obligation to God, and someone who's giving was the difference between, um, I don't know if it was the rich man or a Pharisee. I can't remember off the top of my head. Y'all can correct me. But the, and then the woman with two mites, I think is the language, but like two pennies, two coins. And that the, the one stands in front of the entire religious ceremony that day and talks about how honored the, they are to be able to give what they're giving. And they give a tenth of what they have, which is really nothing for them to have to give. And then this woman comes up with all she has that week. The only amount of money she has to live off of that week. And gives that. And Jesus says, which one? And he doesn't even answer the question, right? He just says, which one do you think actually gave as God intended? 
And Jesus' point, Jesus' point was about the heart. Because we can have all of the time in the world, all of the uh, talent in the world, all of the resources in the world, and only obligatory give that, those things to people, only in a sense of like, I feel like I have to, and never produce the deep results that God intends to produce both in our lives and in their lives. Never actually produce the generous people. And the greatest thing, the greatest thing that we as God's people have to offer to the world is not our resources. We need to give our resources. We need to. I mean, that's a, that is a part of it. Paul is talking about giving of resources in this passage. But the greatest thing we have to give people is a relationship with God. That's the greatest thing we have to give them. And so as we're giving resources, as we're giving of our talents and our abilities, we give what's even most important to them. Because if all it was about was giving resources or even giving talents and abilities, the world can do that. And we know this already. There are nonprofits and organizations out there that do that without Christ. That, that can be done by the world. But what can't be done by the world is the gift of a relationship with God. They, they don't know how, and they can't because they don't have one. And so it's a both and, it's an all-encompassing, I give all that I have to God and say, what do you want me to do with all of this? And it doesn't look the same for everyone, but the calling looks the same. The calling to be generous with our lives looks the same. And so it's not going to work itself out in the same way, but it's always going to be consistent in how we're called. So as we think about this concept of pay it forward, as we reflect in on, okay, God, how are you calling me to become more like Christ in this way? How are you calling me to be generous with who I am? Then we must learn to dive deeper into a relationship with God so that it's coming out of a deep place a deep place of generosity and not just some sort of surface level checking a box or giving. Because when it starts coming from that deep place, the, the fruit of generosity it will produce both in our own lives, of giving ourselves away more and more and more, but also into the lives of others as it multiplies into their life. They begin to see someone who's being generous and they begin to emulate that in their own generosity the fruit that it can produce is transformative for the world. The reason the church in Acts grew like it did so rapidly early on was the level of generosity that they had. The level of generosity that they had with their lives. Not, not just with their resources. Their resources were a part of it, but it was with their lives that they would welcome people into their lives in ways that the rest of the world does not welcome people into their life, right? It was only the believers that were really welcoming people into their lives and saying, I'm going to love you 
like you're my family, even though you're not. Even though I have no obligation to you in that sense, I'm going to love you like I do. Thank you.